I will still record a sermon every week. Um, so I will record our conversation today. So there will be a podcast every week of a sermon, at least, for those who want to hunt it down. So, any thoughts? Any questions? Yes, Patricia. Yeah, but we need to be careful when we do that. So, especially if you're over the age of 17, the government has been very clear about not going out and unless you really have to, staying out of contact with people, which will have an effect on us as a parish. Let's face it, most of our volunteers at the op shop are over 70, and a pretty big percentage of the congregation here is over 70, so we need to think about how we stay in contact with people. Any thoughts about the reading, apart from it was very long? I like this concept that um, through suffering we learn and person who's hasn't got sight the sin is not having worth but actually gives us an opportunity to move on. <clears throat> Maybe this whole experience is making us all stop and look at the way we're living that the satellites are showing that the air is a lot clearer over the earth that people aren't hopping on a plane like they used to hop on a car. There's perhaps wake up for we needed to think about the sort of patient which was our planet. And um, so that's positive that can be drawn. Um, and the other thing is I like the idea that um, the idea that Jesus is the light because we need a constant and it gives us a centre to keep focusing back on. Gives us inspiration. The, the concept of light in that situation is different from ours. So for us, light is something that's external, that shines down on us. So it comes from the sun. Uh, for that world, light was something that was internal, it was in, in the eye. So somebody could see, because there was light in their eye, that shone out of the eye. And when you didn't have the light in your eye, you were blind. So it's a complete reverse of how... Uh, we understand it. So when Jesus says he is the light, he was that light that wasn't external, it was an internal thing. And so when he healed the blind man, he placed light in the blind man's eyes so that he could see. So it's a very different way of seeing it. But I think it's an interesting concept for us about the light within us rather than the light externally. And it made me think about, you know, there are some people who have really bright eyes I mean, that's where it comes from. They, and there are others whose eyes are not so bright, we might say. And, you know, what does it mean for us to be amongst those with the bright eyes, with the light shining from within us during this time? The lesson uh, begins... I do need my tablet for this bit. Um, I just need to make some comments, so that's one of them. The other one is, translating is really difficult. So, uh, when you're translating from one language to another... Um, that the words don't always, um, yeah, there's no direct, the words don't directly translate. So the concepts involved with those words in the first language don't always translate across into the second language. And so one of the examples of that, or well, they have multiple meanings, and so translators have to choose that. So it says that the man worships Jesus. 
And that's certainly one of the meanings. But I've got to say that I don't think any Jew would worship another person. But it also means that he bent his knee to that person, like he um, bowed down before him as you would to, to your superior. And so, for me, that's a better translation. But for, for whatever reason, the, the NRSV translators went with worshipped, because it fits their theology. The other, the other problem is tenses often sometimes don't match, so when you're trying to translate out of one language to another, you've got to try to get as close to as possible with that tense, but sometimes you just can't do it. And the third problem with Greek is the original Greek had no full stops or capital letters. So you didn't actually know when the sentences stopped and the new sentence began. Uh, and there are, most of the time it's pretty obvious, but there are a few times that the whole meaning of the passage has changed where you put the full stop. And this is one of those times. And so um, the passage begins with the disciples asking, asking, Rabbi, who sinned, the man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus in the NRSV answers, Neither this man nor his parents sinned. He was born blind so that God's works might be revealed in him. That's a very problematic translation because the words, He was born blind so that, do not appear in the Greek. The NRSV translators have put that in there so they can make sense of how that whole thing works and still fit their theology. So the question is, who's to blame? It's a pretty natural question. Uh, one of the podcast, well, I listened to a podcast, and one of the people, the Old Testament scholar who's on that podcast, when he was at high school and college, had cancer, and now he has no legs. Um, and when he, so he talks about people talking to his parents and saying, you know, you must feel guilty that your son has cancer. You, you must have done something bad, or you fed him wrong, or like this is all your fault. Somebody had to be held accountable. Um, one of their students, who's now a pastor, uh, was born without a left arm, and people said to her mother, you must have done something really bad in your life that your daughter was born without a left arm. So that, that, that kind of understanding still exists in the world. And we can see it, you know, big catastrophes. There's always Christian preachers that go, well, it's their fault. You know, the Haiti earthquake preachers were saying it's because they were so sinful, the tsunami on Boxing Day... It's because they weren't Christians. Uh, but even when things happen, like Donald Trump, and this is China's fault that this is happening, the Chinese virus, we have to blame someone. And the number of times that things happen, who will be held to account? Who do we blame? It's a very natural thing. But Jesus here, in the Greek, a number of, of uh, commentators say, a more accurate translation should be, neither this man nor his parents sinned, full stop, no one is to blame. But in order that God's works might be revealed in him, it is necessary for us to do the works of the one who sent me. So he wasn't born blind so that this happens, but Jesus finds this person, and so that the, the works of God could be revealed, he responds to that. So that's a very important difference that we need to keep in mind. Uh, another thing we need to keep in mind is, sadly, the word uh, 
the word that has been translated as Jews throughout John and throughout all the Gospels would be much better translated as Judeans. Um, and in fact, when you sound it out in the Greek, it actually says Judeans rather than Jews uh, and refers to the Judean elite, not to the whole Jewish people. And the sad thing about that is the passages from John have been used to justify incredible anti-Jewish statements and actions throughout the centuries. Um, somebody very recently talked about how Jews weren't, were outside of God's things, we could do whatever we liked to them because, because of John, because of passages in John. Um, so there are lots of places in here where the translations, people have to make decisions, and they're never neutral when they do that. They're always doing it from a point of point of view. I added all that stuff, so uh, the last part about the Good Shepherd is not part of the original lectionary reading, but it is part of the story that John wrote. So John has the sign, the conversation about the sign, and then Jesus' commentary about the sign. So that's a pretty constant thing that happens, um, but we usually chop that off because it's very long, and we don't usually put the Good Samaritan, the Good Shepherd stuff alongside the story. But actually, in the story, who hears? The blind man doesn't see Jesus, has no idea who Jesus is, but he hears the voice. So it's a commentary on the blind man who hears Jesus and follows him. And because he follows him, he goes from object of question to being disciple. So by the end of this end of that first part of the story, when he's in conversation with the Pharisees, he starts off just replying to their questions, not engaging with them, replying to the questions, not engaging with them, but by the end of them he becomes a disciple, teaching them about who Jesus is, even though he's not very sure himself, and saying, do you also want to be one of his disciples? So Jesus moves, when we listen to Jesus, Jesus moves us from outsiders of no importance to centre of the story. So there are things, some things in there for us, I think, for me, in all of that. One of them is the invitation to trust. So the word belief has come because of the Protestants really to be, you know, we affirm these statements and we believe them. But actually, in this story and throughout the Gospels, it's about trusting and being loyal. So in the end, the man went and washed his face, but by the end of the story, he was willing to trust enough that he was willing to, to become a d disciple. So what does that mean for us to trust, to be loyal at this point? And the second question for me is the importance of listening. So the man can't see, but he listens, and he hears the voice, and he responds to that. And others hear the voice and respond to that. In fact, to be fair, that blind man becomes a better disciple than the first 12, who are still trying to blame people, who are still operating off old world assumptions. Uh, the Samaritan woman teaches them about how big... God's lovers, um, and this man teaches them about what it means to actually believe, to trust, to be loyal. So 
how do we listen? One of the ways that we listen at this point, and we will need to listen, because these are, these are going to be very interesting times. It's going to get worse before it gets better. And how do we then respond to what we hear? And the last point I would make is that often we are like those disciples who the poorest and the most in need, we are blind to them. So really, the disciples didn't really see a person at the beginning of the story. They just wanted to know who was blind, who was to blame if this person was blind. But they weren't really showing any compassion towards that person. It was Jesus who showed the compassion. It was Jesus who saw him and then responded. So the invitation at this time is, how do we see those who are in need? And how do we respond to that? So some thoughts that come out of that. Any other ideas from you guys? I was going to get you to have conversations, but then you would have had to be closer than two metres. <laughs> Patricia. Will be a sign of hope. I'll do as I'm told as from tomorrow. <laughs> Good. Yeah, I'm also on the Taranaki Waikato clergy email list, and so Archbishop Philip said, You can have your services, but please stand at the door and send home everyone who's in this age group pastorally and with concern, but say to them, you really shouldn't be here. Um, just the thing about the light in the eyes, I, even though we may be heading into periods of isolation and we can talk on the phone, I think we actually need to be seeing people and seeing that light. So we've got to work out ways of safely being in each other's presence because we can't just survive on being alone. On being alone. We need to see people as well. So we've got to think creatively about how we can um, yeah, see that light in each other's eyes as well as hearing the person. Yeah, I, was, I mean, that was the hard thing about yesterday because I was thinking, oh, well, we can't have church, but we can still have coffee meets. We can still have the prayer circle. We can, you know, we can sit apart, but and we can still do those things where people can gather. But with the, yesterday's announcement that over 70, or 70 and over should stay home, it was like, Makes it very difficult to do all of those things. So how do how do we do that? Well, that's the conversation after we've finished the service. So uh, James is going to lead us in prayer.